I would say it's very hard for the average person to come in this and succeed because they haven't experienced the lifestyle. You grew up in that lifestyle. So for you to look at this business and say, this sucks, I hate it, it's hard, blah, 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 you know what you receive from it. So for you to go through all the shit stuff, you know that you know what the reward is. But the average person doesn't have a clue what the one-and-done day is like over six years or over four years or one year where you can you can just say, I'm done. I can be a dad for four solid days. People don't understand that, that haven't lived that. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Um, before we get started, let's uh, sound test. What did you have for breakfast this morning, if anything? Mm, I had a cup of coffee. Is that it? That's it. Any water, any uh, vitamin supplements, anything like that? Uh, water in my uh, medicine that I take in the mornings. Awesome. So... Um, First of all, I got to thank you. Um, this podcast thing is new to me, so um, getting to interview my parents first is kind of like my uh, baby steps to get started in this. And uh, so, thanks for doing this. Um, I know that you don't like doing this. You don't like being interviewed or asked questions and things like that. So, why is that? Um, part of it is um, an un- unknown. I don't know where this is going and, you know, um, if I guess I'll know the answer is kind of like a test. And the other is I work real well in the shadows. I prefer to be in the shadow than to be in the limelight. So this feels very much up front and center limelight kind of thing. So just one little thing I struggle with. Do you uh, listen to podcasts ever or uh, interviews? I do. Do you ever see yourself doing the interviewing or being like, hey, I wish so-and-so would interview me? Neither. Never. Okay. (laughs) So um, for years as uh, dad was selling insurance and stuff like that, um, he always qualified for trips and You'd be standing around cocktail parties and stuff like that. And, of course, in those situations, they know what dad does. They know why everybody's there. And then Mm -hmm. you'd get that little snooty remark, well, what do you do? (laughs) How do you answer that? Um, I usually would just – I somewhere along the line, you know, you always want to say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom or um, something like that. And then when – I used to work, and so after that, when I got to be a stay-at-home mom, to me, that was my calling. Um, but to say that you're a stay-at-home mom sometimes is looked down upon. Or if I filled out a thing and they asked my occupation, I wound up started start writing in there. I wrote that I was a homemaker, and to me, that 
explained what I did because my I felt like my overall job in life was to make a home. So that's kind of what I would just tell them. I'm lucky to be a stay-at-home mom, and I, I make a home. Let's uh, put it on record that I need to apologize for when I was young and somebody asked me, uh, what does your mom do? And I said, well, she's just a mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that my wife's a stay-at-home mom, I'm going – and uh, to be fair, I spend a, a good amount of time with my kids and I'm going, this just a mom thing is way harder yeah. than anybody ever gets credit for. And uh, I think I saw a, a – a research topic the other day that they did some research that a stay-at-home mom is worth somewhere around $140,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's more than I make. So, um, they're, they're for sure valuable. The, the funny, one of the funniest things you did as a child was in <laughs> kindergarten, they had, uh, a day, like, I don't remember what it was called, but like occupation day. Like career day. Yeah. And you were supposed to bring in your parents, and we were getting you ready for school, and you were so excited, so excited. And then all of a sudden, you saw I came out, and I was more dressed up than usual. And he's like, and you were like, Mom, what are you doing? And he, she, he, you said, can you just stay home because you really don't do anything? And I was like, awesome, honey. <laughs> no, I'm coming. So. Yeah. So... um you said your calling uh, was to be a homemaker. Oh, I, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up as a kid, um, as I got a little bit older, because I think those those uh, missteps and those um, knocks to your profession were when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so as I got older um, and I... Um, got a little smarter, I kept telling you, mom, you should say that you're a professional mom. Cause that's like a, a much better way of phrasing it. Yeah. So I don't know if that ever wore off or not, but yeah. anyway, um, you felt like that was your calling and you did have a business before that. Mm-hmm. What was that? What did you do? Um, well, I went to college, I got my elementary school degree and then I had a minor in early childhood, early childhood education. And, um, so I taught, preschool for nine years. I had daycare for like the first four and then I switched it over for the last five and did day or did preschool then. And you were self-employed, ran your own business. You didn't have anybody else telling you what to do, how to do it. No, I just, we, we stepped out on a limb like your dad and I do all the time, um, and bought a house before we were married and it had a room built on the back that they used for a master bedroom and a family room and then we converted that into a preschool because had a little bathroom back there and everything so we could just the back part of our house was my school and that's how we started and even to get the loan for our house then it was hard for us to get a loan because I had this imaginary job coming into it and I did not know what my income would be and we had to verify my income before we could get the loan and so I had to go and I had to be full and have these people sign waivers that they were going to pay me so much each month so that we could even buy the house to get to do that. And then I did that for four years, and then um, and those hours were long. I took kids in at 5 a.m. because back then we had um, a manufacturing plant called Travenol, and they had shifts all day and night. 
So I took children at 5 a.m., and my last one left at 7 p.m. So I was surrounded with babies all day, which I was in love with, but um, didn't have children that whole time that, of my own. Those are long hours. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, you told me before we started that part of your, your nervousness about this was um, talking about insurance, but um, – my my line of thinking was, you know, what what am I going to ask my mom about? Um, you know, to um, we're going to talk about insurance a little bit later, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, to kind of skirt around insurance and and get our ideals out there, but not um, just talk about insurance for an hour because nobody wants to hear about that. Mm-hmm. And it's boring. So yeah. um, this kind of uh, boggled my mind. Um, first of all, explain what your childhood was like, um, where you grew up and, and then coming to Hayes. Okay. Um, I grew up in a small town out West called Collier, Kansas. Um, very small town, probably three streets wide by 10 streets long, very small. Um, I grew up on a farm five miles north of there, and it was my dad and my mom. I have two older brothers and an older sister. So I was the precious baby of the family, pretty much always treated that way. Um, uh, I went to a small country school, a Catholic school run by nuns. Um, we had a two-room schoolhouse with first, second, third, fourth, fifth in one room, sixth, seventh, and eighth in the other room. Um, there were, in my class, there were five kids, three boys and two girls. And um, we just, I mean, we had a wonderful life. It was a farm life. Uh, so basically, I grew up with parents there every day, my mom and my dad. And um, we did everything together. And being the baby of the family, I really did a lot with just my parents because the kids, the other ones were in school. Um, I have fond memories of that. I like my dad buying my first horse when I was like four and I can remember training that horse with him and my two brothers and, uh, my older brothers teaching me to drive, uh, very young, probably way too young to be, have been doing that. Um, my school was wonderful. I started when I was four uh, because I have a very late birthday, and they said if you if she does okay, we'll keep her. If not, we'll send her home, back home with you to my mom, and we'll see her next year. But I did fine, so I've always been like the youngest in my class. Uh, then when I turned nine, the year I turned nine, uh, my dad, I remember him. We, we only had two bedrooms, so my brothers were in one bedroom, and my mom and dad and my sister and I, there were two double beds in one bedroom. And so I can remember him waking up and coughing, 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 coughing every morning, and he would just sit on the bed and cough. And so finally his vision started bothering him when he was driving tractor. So my mom went with him to the eye doctor, and um, they actually saw a tumor through his eye on his brain. So they sent him to Salina for a test, and they wound up cutting him open, found out he had lung cancer that had metastasized to his brain. And um, that was in September of 67, 
and they gave him three months to live. So we brought him home to the hospital there in Quinter, which was town beside us that actually had a hospital. And um, he proceeded to die in three months and two days. And so a week before my 10th birthday, um, we buried him. And we watched that all unfold, which was horrible. Um, I remember being taken from the town that I grew up in was eight miles from the other town. So where my dad and mom, my mom was with him at the hospital all the time. So people would drive me from my school over to the hospital every day. And I spent the nights in the waiting room because back then you couldn't go in until you were 12. And so I would just sit in the waiting room and... There were probably three nurses there that um, felt bad for me. And so they would sneak me in and say, don't tell anybody. And then they'd bring me back in there to sit with them. But um, towards the end of that was really nasty. He kind of reverted back to um, the war. He thought he was in the war. He didn't really know any of us. And uh, I have visions. I can remember my brothers, like carrying him to the bathroom and things like that. And then that Thanksgiving, in, in that was in September through December. So that Thanksgiving, we brought him home to the house. And I was like, oh, this is great. He's getting well. And he wasn't. They just let him come home because they knew he was going to die soon. And then we took him back to the hospital, which I didn't understand a lot of that at nine. And then, anyway, we buried him in December. And then we stayed on the farm till that spring. But we knew my mom couldn't do all that by herself, so we had a farm sale and sold everything. And um, I got to keep my horse, who went to live with some other people. And then we moved to Quinter um, for my siblings to finish school. Uh, my older brother and my other brother were kind of born in the same year. And so uh, they finished school. My oldest brother went to the war in Vietnam and my other brother graduated, and then we, my sister, myself, and my mom, uh, we moved to Hayes because there were really no jobs out there for my mom except the nursing home, and she didn't really want to do that. So we moved to Hayes, and um, which was the big city for us, being from rural. And how old were you when you moved to Hayes? I was um, 12. So we moved in 69, so yeah. Going to start 12. sixth grade or seventh grade? Seventh grade here. Okay. And my sister was in, in high school. And um, my mom got a job at Fort Hayes, and um, she worked in the union in the kitchen. And I actually wound up loving it. Um, but at that time, there were no single moms. Um, everybody had a mom and a dad. Um so I can't, I mean, now it's totally common to have a single mom, but back then it wasn't. And um, so not only did I go from having a mom and dad full time to just a mom trying to make this way in life, but then she had to go to work at, shoot, she was probably 50 and she went to work. That was her first job ever working for anybody other than on the farm. And um, that had to be scary for her. Uh, and so I kind of went from full-time parents to no parents. Because um, all my friends in junior high and high school, their moms were at home. 
their moms did not work. So it uh, probably has a little something to do with why I was um, had this dream of having moms, mm, Jim and I with you kids. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> I want to continue that uh, story here in a second, but um, this this question I knew I normally ask uh, quite a bit later, but I think this is a good interruption here. Um, who is the third most successful person you know, and why? Don't worry, we're going to come back to one and two. But who's who's number three on that list for you? Most successful person. Mm-hmm. You can define set success however you mm-hmm. want, but. Gosh, I have no idea. It's okay if you want to say skip and we can come back to it. Um, well, it's hard for me because I'm thinking, okay, i got to save room for one and two. Um, I don't know. I'll well, who's number one? Who's the most successful person? Oh, probably dad. Okay. I mean, and why? my husband. Um, just because, I mean, he's, he's very successful in his business. He, um, he dreams big. Um, he works way harder than anybody knows, except probably me. Um, he came from a upbringing that was unlike mine and uh, kind of flipped because he didn't want to repeat that, which I admire tremendously. Um, so uh, he's he's very successful at business. He's very successful at being a super great husband and a He's very successful at being a dad, so he would be number one for sure. Do you have a number two? Probably my mom. Okay. Because uh, she she did good in a very tough life. Hard for me to talk about that, but she was awesome. Probably my best friend in the whole wide world. So you, you came to Hayes and... Um, you were in seventh grade. Did I know that you and dad met and started dating in high school? Mm-hmm. Um, did you know dad in seventh, eighth grade? Mm-mm. Because back then, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth were all in together, middle school. right? Mm-hmm. He went to a different middle school than I did. Okay, he went to Felton, I went to Kennedy. I did not know him till high school. And I, terrible to say, but I didn't even really know him through high school. He was a year behind me in school. Um, I should have been in his class and he should have been in my class. But um, I, like I said, I was started early. So I was ahead of him. But I honestly, terrible to say, but I did not even know of him until my senior year in high school. And when did you start dating? My senior, the very end of my senior year. Okay. After Valentine's Day. Okay. And then, so you started dating and on and off and then uh, got married in? In 81, the year after college. Yeah, we dated in high school. Then we didn't date for quite a while. And then um, he went away to junior college. I stayed here. We dated other people through all of that. Uh, then I uh, ran into him one summer again, and um, we started dating. He was still at junior college, and I was here. And then um, we dated We dated six years before we got married. 
and um, we got married. I was a year out of school, and he he went four years and quit. He didn't graduate. And so, yeah, we got engaged, and then we were engaged for a year and a half. So we don't do anything really spur of the moment. Okay, so you were born in 80, or I'm sorry, you were married in 81, and I was born in 87. Okay. Um, but now, um, I don't want to jump into that question. Let's do this one first. So um, when you got married and... Tell me the story how the um, preschool came to be. Do, right when you got married, did you want to do that right away? Where was dad working? Kind of, okay. how, did, how did all that come about? When I got out of college, I went to work at a school as a Title I reading teacher um, at what well, was Jefferson, which is now Holy Family, but it was just the, one of the public schools. And I worked there. I started in... December, because I graduated in December, and I started teaching right away. I got a job right out of graduation, and I went to work for a gal there that was uh, a special reading teacher, and I loved that job. Um, She wound up, after I worked there just a month, she wound up um, saying she needed to go into the hospital for some tests. And so she went in, and they called me a week later and said she had cancer really bad, and she wouldn't be back, and asked if I could cover that till the end of the year. I'm like, sure, which was, I mean, I was super jacked. Um, then at the end of the year, they had to hire someone else because you had to have a master's to run that program, and I did not have that. And then the gal that they hired towards the end of the school year um, never let me do anything with the kids. I just did her bulletin boards, and so I was frustrated saying, you know, I didn't go to school to get a degree to do bulletin boards. So I asked Jim, I said, I just, I want to do my own thing and I want to be home. And, and if I do this at home, when we have kids, I'll be home. I can work and be at home and I don't have to ship my kids out every day. So that was the intent of why we decided to do all that before we got married. I got engaged that year, that when I was working at Jefferson, um, that February, uh, dad was, uh, driving a beer truck. And he was on the road all over western Kansas delivering okay. beer. Kind of 8 to 5, Monday through Friday mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. So Some days were longer, but I yeah. think Thursdays he had a little longer day. But um, So then I had my degree in that, and I started that thinking, you know, if we have children, then – or when we have children because I definitely were going to have children. Um, the other thing at that point, though, uh, Jim – Jim's whole family was into Amway, which is a multi-level marketing thing. I never really liked it. I did it because it was important to him. There was nothing about it I liked. Um, But I did. I did it, and we had hoped that that would make enough income that would help us family-wise. He thus was on the road, worked all day, got home, changed his clothes, got in the car, went and did meetings. We did part of the reason why I didn't have children at the beginning, I did not want to raise them myself. And I felt I was, I would be doing that because he was never there. He was gone all the time. Um, I could go with him in the evenings and I did sometimes, but I hated it. Um, so, and, and being a first year teacher, you have tons of lesson plans and things. So I did that most evenings, but I would go with him, but we would have 
product day when everybody in our group would have ordered products and they all shipped to our house. And then I'd have to go through all this product and put it in there. And then people would drop by for the next two or three days picking up products. And and I don't want it to sound bad, but weird people. <laughs> like I did not even want them to know what our house looked like on the inside. Not all of them, but a good many of them. So very much annoying thing for me, but um, part of the reason why you didn't come along for six years was because of that. The last year he did that, he was on the road. Now, don't hold me to this, but I want to say like 280 nights in a year. So, so, um, and this is kind of what I was getting at the whole time is um, neither of you really sound like entrepreneurs. But you are. And mm-hmm. like you were before dad was. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how one and done even started was dad being this entrepreneur and, and building this business and this lifestyle, which is awesome. But it's all because of you. And you were self-employed first. Mm-hmm. Um, you had your, your business at home first. Um, mm-hmm. And where did that come from, uh, from both of you, if, if you have any idea? You know, I have no idea. I actually didn't realize that till you just said that, but that's pretty true. Um, it, which for me, being a cautious person as I am, you would not think I would dream very big. But I've always dreamt really big, but I'm not bold about it um, because I'm the only one in my family that even went to college. I'm the only one in my family that has a degree. I'm the only one in my family that actually had their own business. Um, so where that come, came from, I have no idea. What's the difference between dreaming big and gambling? Oh, I think dreaming big is gambling. I do. Um, I just think that the positive thing that dreaming big has is um, – it's not a spoof. You have to work really hard for that. I think if you gamble, you kind of throw it against the wall and hope it works. I think dreaming big, you gamble because you make huge decisions, um, but then you have, you're held accountable to make it work. And luckily, your dad and I, we have always been in the same boat. Even if I didn't want to be in it, I was still in it because he was in it the Amway thing. And then there are times he doesn't see it, but he goes with it because I see it. So I think that's kind of why the dreaming big works for us. Maybe. So by 1987, I'm, I come along and quick. Well, actually once Jim realized he was on the road, 290 nights of a year and I was not getting younger at that time and I wanted to have a family and I mean I finally just said we are not even making any money we've been doing this for six years we're actually losing money and you're never here so how are we ever going to have children and I think at that point he realized he was just gambling or just spinning out, getting nowhere. And we went and talked to not his upline, but someone within our upline thing and kind of just laid it all out and said, you know, 
this is where we're at. The system doesn't work. Yeah, we are stuck. We want to have a family. We want to have parents for uh, children. Um, and luckily, had we gone and talked to our diamond upline, he would have said, tough it out, get with it. And these were very um, down home. Actually, they were from Quinner, where where my dad was in the hospital, and they were country people, and they just said, this is not working for you. You have done everything you possibly could, and if I were you, I would just go home and have a family and and work. So that's what we did. Was dad working at the at Heartland then, or...? Um, somewhere in that six years, okay. we, so, towards the end of it, he called and went and did some interviews to just do a regular job. And I remember the day that call came, we were so excited because he got to be off the bear truck and he got to be in town. Was he doing Amway and, uh, Heartland at the same time? For a while, yeah. Okay. And so then, um, so I came along in 87 mm-hmm. and dad was working at Heartland and you still had the... I still had preschool, yes. Were they still those long hours? No. Okay. Preschool was just um, 9 to 11 and I had a class in the morning, 9 to 11, and then I had lunch hour and then I had another class from 1 to 3. I had some people that came Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that was their classes and had other families that came Tuesday, Thursday. And I did that for four years uh, and I made more money doing that than I did the daycare all day long. And the daycare kind of broke my heart because I was raising those people's kids. They weren't. I mean, like the gal would pick the little ones up at seven. She went home. I had fed them supper. She went home, bathed and put them to bed. And actually when that little girl started kindergarten, I cried all day because I missed her because I'm the only one she was with all the time. How did that realization come about? I mean, I we run the gym, and then we find some way where we can either save money or, or make more money with a different business model. How did you say, okay, I'm running these super long hours for daycare, um, and then I can transition to less hours and get paid more? How did mm-hmm. that even come about? Well, Was it an accident? No, no, it was not. Um, I just, after years of taking care of other people's kids, which I, I totally loved. But like I said, it broke my heart. Um, I, I just kept thinking, how will I do this when I have children of my own? And so I thought if I do preschool and actually use my degree, it would be more fulfilling for me. Plus I could cut my hours down. So if I did have children, you know, they could be at the house while I'm doing this, but I still had more time with them. So I, I, I went to my CEO and said, Jim, how can we do that? I want to flip it. I want to flip it to this. I want to do this now. And he's like, well, how much, how much can we make? It was always to him, how much can we make? You know, we had house payment, $500 house payment, which was huge back then. We, bought, we didn't buy a starter home like everybody else did. We bought a big home because I needed the extra. And everybody thought we were crazy. But we did, and we made it. And then, um, like when daycare was there, I had to buy food for them all day, too. So that was another expense. Preschool, I didn't have to do that. So I had to lay it all out how I thought we could do this. It worked. He bought it. The people bought in. Actually, I had 36 kids in my preschool. Staggered, nine in a class, four different classes. As time went on, then I was like, great, I just 
traded for another huge business, I had a waiting list. So I, I mean, I actually did a really good job at that, but I always had a waiting list. So I knew this would, could go on forever, but then I got to wanting to have babies and I thought, how, how do I do this now? How do I do this? So as time went on, I would, I would go to my CEO and say, can I cut out, can I cut out the Tuesday, Thursday class? And then we could still have, you know, part of my income. Well, I can't make it on that. We can't make it on that. So I would try to charge a little more, offer a little more services so that I could get rid of the Tuesday, Thursday class. So we did that for a while and I cut it back to then because I was not getting younger. Back in my day, you know, people had babies at 18. Um, I didn't have you till I was 29, which was ancient, huge difference. ancient mom yeah. back then. Um, so yeah, that's how that I mean, I just had to finagle and try to, you know, eventually we had you. And so when I had you, I still taught school for two years after I had you. So in the morning, I would take you to a babysitter, come back and teach, go back and get you, feed you lunch. My mom got off work. She would come and get you, take you to her house. I get done teaching. I come get you. I... Uh, I couldn't have you in my home. It's one of the state rules, which I thought was ridiculous because my mom could have just come over in the afternoon. You'd have been sleeping. She could have just hung out, been there in case you needed her. I couldn't. So I always say your first year of your life, all I did was wrap you up, put you in the car seat, take you to somewhere, unwrap you. They'd wrap you up. I put you back. That's all I did with you for the first year. Um, Second year, I had a lady that wanted to trade out preschool for babysitting you. So I traded. She would bring her kid. She would take you. She'd come back, get her kid, bring you back. And then my mom did you in the afternoon. And then I told Jim, I said, if we're going to have another kid... I need to be done because I want to stay home. I just want to stay home with them. He did not want two kids. He wanted you. (laughs) He was one and done then. (laughs) And I was like, no, he's not going to be an only child. I, so I fought hard for Maddie. I fought for one more, um, come to find out they're two peas in a pod. That's why she's so spoiled. Yeah. (laughs) And why she's so like him. But, um, yeah. And then when I got pregnant with her, um, she was due in April. I got to be done in December. And so. So um, going back, I remember going to a babysitter um, when I was two, three years old. Probably two. And um, like, I don't remember what their house looked like. I don't remember anything else, but I just, I remember that experience. Um, And then dad comes home from work one day and says, hey, there's this guy who sells insurance and he only does it like three days a week. And even if I suck at it, I'd have to do it four days a week. That'd be one less day mm-hmm. than I'm working now. What do you think? No, actually, <laughs> he works six days a week at the Heartland. Oh, he works Saturdays till 12 or 2. It was a short day. We were mm-hmm. pretty jacked about that. Um, no, when you were born, um, Coppers brought a uh, – no. When Michael was born, which was a year after you were born. Right, because this was 88. Yeah, we took a present over to their house. And as they're talking, I'm hearing what he does and how much he's there. And so when we left, I said, how does he do that? He only works like one or two days a week. How does he do that? And Jim's like, I don't know. And so I'm like, you need to check into that. 
And so that's how that started. And um, so when he went and talked to him, Jim said, look, if I could just have my Saturdays, we would be so jacked because then we would have Saturdays and Sundays like everybody else. So actually, we went into it just thinking we were going to have weekends off every week. Every weekend, we'd have Saturday and Sunday, which we were pretty pumped about that. And then as he started, decided he'd work Monday, Tuesday. He'd take off Wednesday, regroup, go out Thursday, Friday to a different different town, which, once again, we were super jacked. That was four days a week. We were working. He was working six and I was home. So um, four days a week, wonderful. What what did, um, I mean, dad's always paid the bills and kind of taken care of all that, but now you're not working. He's working four days a week. Did it feel like a struggle financially mm-hmm. or did it was? No, it was always a struggle. Like we ate box pizzas. They were 88 cents. And... Dad is a workaholic, uh-huh. believe it or not. Uh-huh. You know, we, we started this thing called One and Done because Dad works one day a week and now he's done. But at his heart, he's a workaholic. Uh-huh. How did you break him of that? Because, I mean, he'll he'll give you all the credit forever and a day to yeah. say, you know, if it weren't for your mom, I would I would be selling insurance five days a week. He would. And, I mean, you would be... Gazillionaires. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have no worries as far as finances go now, but um, yeah. had had he just always been like that, yeah, you'd be have a, a shit ton of money, but, um, you know, the lifestyle wouldn't be there. So It's never been about the money for me. Mm-hmm. It's been, it, and I don't know, maybe it's just coming from a poor home. I mean, I grew up poor really poor. I remember there were times I would, uh, in my teenage years, and I had jobs from when I was 14. Like I worked at Bikes Burger Bar and I taught swimming lessons and worked at swimming at the swimming pool from eight in the morning till eight at night every summer for six years. I mean, I, I've always worked, but if there was ever, like, I remember one time wanting a pair of jeans and they were $12 and you know, me in jeans. I just got to have them. And I didn't have $12. And I remember my mom loaning me $12. And she said, you will pay that back. And that was a lot of money for her and me back then. So I don't know if it came from that. But I just, and I don't know. I try to think about this. Why? Why all that happened? I don't know. I just knew I wanted to be home with my kids. And I remember um, just telling him, Nobody gets to have their mom home. Back then, when you were little, your, I read somewhere or I heard it on TV that only 13% of the moms stay home with their kids. The moms. And I thought, oh, my gosh, poor children. Because I think moms need to be with their kids. If you want them to grow up the way you want them to grow up, you need to be raising them. And so... I don't know. For some reason, I just felt that was very important. And then um, I don't know why he bought into that, but he did. Um, Maybe because he loves me. (laughs) Um, But I think once you got home or once we brought you home and he would hurry home from work and just sit on the couch and hold you, I think he never thought he would love kids so much, his own, granted. But 
I don't even think he thought he'd love his kids that much because he did come from a very rough home. Um, so I think he was surprised by that and just thought this might be really cool if we can swing it. Well, and I, I think that's what um, – it doesn't drive me crazy, but I'm like – where did they get the inspiration? Because his parents um, were were nothing to to follow. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you had an amazing mom, but uh, dad didn't even know your dad. Um, and so, like, where did – I mean, I get to model my life off of the amazing life that you guys created. But uh, mm-hmm. you had nothing to say, we want that. Yeah. You know, really, it was, it was just a dream that you guys created. Yeah. And I don't know because my siblings don't have that same dream. I mean, I don't know why. Well, neither do dad's siblings, so. No. But I always think I think I always think I was adopted anyway, <laughs> but I know I wasn't. But, I mean, I'm very different than them. I don't know why. I don't know why that came from that. My dad loved children, and I always give him the credit for as much as I love children. And for some reason, children love me. Um Children loved my dad. Like we would go to wedding dances and someone would have a baby there that was just a mess. And they would always say, go give him to Wendy. My dad's nickname was Wendy. And my dad could put babies to sleep, strangers, anybody. They would just give him children and they would fall asleep in his arms. And so whatever that was somehow transferred to me. And then, I don't know, dad bought into that love of mine, I guess. So I wasn't going to ask you this till later, but you have a, a superpower that I wish I had. Huh. Really? I'm working on it. Um, you can talk to anybody and yeah. everybody. And sometimes it's annoying. We're walking through an airport and we're 10 minutes late for our flight and we may not connect. And we're rushing around and mom is back um, talking to somebody who has a puppy on their lap with kids and we're like mom what are you doing we're going to be late and you can strike up a conversation and identify with a total stranger across the world and it it has to be something in your blood or your uh the water or something because uncle leon does it as well so uh do you have any idea why that is or how that is i don't know i mean i notice children everywhere and uh, have this soft spot in there. And for some reason, that must be big enough that it overcomes my what other people don't bother getting past to, to be able to do that. Um, and the other thing is, I just think it's important to notice things about people. And I think most people notice things about people but never comment on it. And I, I have read gazillion positive thinking books and um like it's really hard for me to read fiction because i'm like this is fake i mean i like to read real things and so i um i like to notice things about people and for some reason i act on it and i say it like if they have a neat scarf on or they have cool hair or something i for some reason can't help giving them a compliment. And when you give people compliments, it bounces back. And I think that's part of it. I don't know. I just think it's important to notice people and to, to plant one positive seed in somebody every day from a total stranger, perhaps, or not. And that might lift that person up for the rest of the day. And so if I do that every day 
to one person, then 365 people have had one better day. I don't know. I guess that's just a weird thought <laughs> that I do. And I, I don't even, like, there are times I go, like, if I have to run into Walmart, I'm like, okay, please don't let me see anybody I know today because I want to get in here and out of here and be damn if I don't stop and talk to a stranger. I, and, and, and then it's like 30 minutes later, or, or I don't. And then one will walk up and say, can you show me where this is? And they think I work there. And then I grab my cart and say, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And they're like, oh, you don't work here. I'm sorry. I'm like, no, come on, let's go. And I wind up for 30 minutes talking to this person and leave going, Gah. so I don't know. It is in my blood somehow. I, I fight, even if I fight it, it, it happens. So God made me that way. All right. So these next questions are going to be a little more. By the way, you have my blood. So <laughs> it'll come. Some of it at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these next questions are a little more broad, um, might make you think a little bit. So if you need to pass, just pass, whatever. Okay. Uh, what's one of your biggest failures that now you realize taught you something other than jumping on a box and <laughs> totally scraping your shins up? Mm. Um, we can come back to it too, if you want a big failure. It could be a little failure too, but something that you... You um, learn something looking back saying, um, I'm glad this happened so that I learned this. I would have to, I can't, I'll have to think about that back farther. But as of recently, I, I think I fail on, I'm quick to judge some people, um, that don't have the same belief system I have. Um, and I'm working really hard on that to just say, I don't agree with you. You're entitled to your opinion. I won't comment on it. So that's a big thing I'm working on right now. And we can still love each other even though we don't agree. Right, right. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't want to shove mine down yours throat and you don't shove yours down mine. And we can still be friends. But my first initial reaction when I catch my mind saying, oh, my God, I want to stop that right there. So that's – I fail on that sometimes. So um, you've got a pretty awesome life right now. Um, I don't know that you have too many complaints, but, uh, you know, in in 20, 30 years and you're old and gray and and you're looking back at yourself now, would you give yourself any advice today? Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with where my life has, has gone. I, um, I like to look back on those years with my mom, um, cause I took care of her for the last almost seven years of her life, which was one of the most difficult things in my whole life. Um, I comment all the time that it was wonderful and horrible at the same time for six years and eight months. Um, I do have regrets about that. Um, I don't have regrets about what I did for her, but I have huge regrets what I missed out in my own immediate family and your life and Maddie's life. Um, I think some things would have went differently. Um, especially in the beginning of your college years, had I been there for you more. 
Um, I definitely, when you called that day and said, Mom, I want to move back home after you were out for six months, I would have said, done deal, get home. And I didn't. And that I do regret. Um, I think Maddie had to kind of do high school on her own because I couldn't leave the house. Um, I think you set a good uh, path for her where it made it a little easier for her, especially since she had to do it without me very much. So that part, um, part of my brain says I should have done that differently, but the other part of my brain knows I would not ever have done that differently just because it was my greatest gift to her, to my mom as a 90-year-old lady. Um, whether it's your life, whether you observe it in, in other people, me, dad, whoever, um, contentment versus drive, um, they kind of feed off of each other. If you're too content, you sit at home and do nothing. Um, if you're never content, you're always working. Mm-hmm. How, what do you, how did you find balance in your life? How did you and dad, uh, kind of come about that, hmm. um, over the years of, I mean, he's been doing this for 30 years almost. Um, um I think sometimes I feel like an outsider with dad and I just kind of have to watch it. And when I see his balance being off, I have to just remind him I mean, your dad's an amazing man because for some reason he listens to me. Why, I don't know. But um, he never, you wouldn't think he is. And I have learned that there too, I have to drop a seed and let it sit. And he stews over it and he thinks about it and he, he makes it right in his mind and then he acts on it. So for him, I think that struggle is harder. Um, like you said, he would just constantly drive, and I have to remind him to be content. I'm 90% content all the time, um, so my drive probably could use a kick in the pants. Um, but simple things drive me. I don't have to get on the road and go to these people's houses. I don't have the hard job. I have the, I feel I have the easy job. Um, so what do you think brings dad contentment? Um, because like you said, he's got the hard job. He's got to go, um, you know, get up early, get on the road, go make sales, go do appointments. All that stuff is hard. Um, what gives him contentment at the end of the day? And this is probably very selfish to say, but my happiness gives him contentment. Your happiness, um, Maddie's happiness, Jill being happy, um, the grandkids. I mean, they have brought us unbelievable contentment, um, which I don't think he planned on that happening. So that's very, very cool. Um, I think knowing all his ducks are in the row Um, I know that makes him content. I think he will always strive to develop new things out of nothing. That gives him contentment. 
um, I think myself being able to encourage him in whatever endeavor he throws at me, I say, do it. I mean, and there are times, even in the insurance world, where I see I see something um, different, something bigger, and then I suggest it to him, and he shoots it down, and he and I just I'll just keep throwing it back, throwing it back, and eventually he says, "Okay, let's take a look at this," and then off he's on another tangent. So I think somehow we feed each other that way. Um, in my world, what makes what when I want things and he disagrees, I have to just um, wait, 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 wait. I'm a very patient person, and so um, not that I like to do it, but I wait real well. What does uh, goal setting and uh, task? Um, you make lists, things yeah. like that. What do what does that look like in your life? Because, okay. um, like you said before, uh, we have we have a drive to go out and sell every week. Uh, you are extremely successful and and get things done all the time. That it baffles me. You know what what does that look like in your life? Um, I'm very list oriented, so I guess you would say goal oriented. I. I never go to bed without making a list for the next day. Uh, rarely. I have done that. I missed it a few times in many years. Um, and it might be very, very simple lists, but to me, they are goals. And if you write it down, it's going to happen. And um, I'm not, I mean, if it doesn't happen, I write it on the next list. People think that's hilarious. I will write it down for. 30 days until it is done. Um, even if it's a, a simple thing like this closet needs to be cleaned out, I will write it down every day until I am done and cross it off. Um, I've been known to do things that weren't on my list and I'll rewrite them on my list and cross them off as soon as I write them. Um, to me, I, when you kids were young, we had to read a book that said, write it down, make it happen. I read it. I've probably read it four times now. Um, and I have found lists that I had goal set it goal set goal set it I don't know how you'd say that I have set goals from years ago and I have written it on a list tucked it in somewhere and I clean out a drawer and there it is and it is shocking how many of them are done and I had written that list and forgotten it and my subconscious has laid it out for those to be done so that that kind of whenever I run across something like that I'm like don't ever stop doing that um, so that's, I mean, my, I don't have any worldly goals, you know, people will probably laugh at what I call goal setting, but it's important to me. How have your views or goals changed over the years or just, um, what have you changed your mind about in the last year? Well, um, I was diagnosed with leukemia in 2014 and that has changed quite a lot about uh, my outlook on life. Um, however this came about, I was lucky enough to get not a nasty, nasty cancer. Uh, one of the blessings in my life is that I do have um, CLL, which is a manageable cancer. 
Um, and I, I have to always, um, I have one doctor I really love and one doctor I do not care much about. And I always want to take my doctor that is, um, that I don't care a lot about. And I would just want to say, I know you deal with cancer every day, lady, but have you ever sat across a room from someone who looked in your face and said, yes, you do have cancer. Okay. No, you have it. Okay. You don't get it. You don't get how the view of your life changes when someone tells you that, even if it's a slow moving, long term kind of thing, it changes. And, um, probably wouldn't have changed as much, but you have two kids that uh, are seated so deep in my heart. Um, I've got to see my two babies grow up and be great kids, great teenagers. Um, I got to see you find your soulmate. Uh, Maddie's very close to that. Um, I got to see you be a dad. You know, on the front of my immediate family, that has all been amazing. And if I left the earth next month, I would have called that all a success. But now you drop these two sweet little babies in my lap and um, all of a sudden I want to see Sperry get married. <laughs> I want to see who Tracer dates. I want to tell them not to drink during high school and college. Um, so now living to be 60 isn't good enough. Um, and had I not been diagnosed with cancer, my my normal mind would have said, I'm going to live to be 90. My mom lived to be 94. Um, but my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and he died at 51. So all of a sudden, 51 to 94, I don't know. I don't know what I have. So that that would be that question. As much as that sucks. <laughs> What is uh, one story that uh, maybe friends or family always tell about you? Hmm. <laughs> My siblings will tell a story that, um, well, they're all two years apart. I'm four years later. So I've always been the spoiled <coughs> one to them. Um, my whole family has dark hair, and I am very much blonde, even at almost 60. So I've kind of always been odd man out. Um, and so the story they tell is when I was a little girl, they would tell everybody that they found me in the pasture, and someone had just left me there, and the, they were playing in the pasture, and they found me and brought me back to the house, and Mom said, oh, I guess we'll keep her. So that's their story they would probably always tell about me that nobody knows. And you guys, my immediate family, um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I think, I wonder what you would say to that question. I think it would be a kind of a general, the kind of the one I told the uh, it's more of a, yeah, yeah, a general, you know, where's mom at and who's she talking yeah. to? And is she scaring somebody that she might steal their children yeah. or something like I, that? I think about know? that. Cause I remember when J we took Jill with us on trips everywhere early, just as your girlfriend, not even as your fiance, we took her, I mean, she just, she's just one of us. So we threw her in the car and away we went. And I remember 
being places and she would be rolling her eyes at you of like, what the hell is wrong with your mom? And now I think she's just like, oh, I get it now because, you know, and the story you tell about when Sperry was born and then I would be laying on the front porch waiting for her to wake up so I could come in and see her. Those kind of stories, I think, is what I would say about you guys. Uh, So if um, dad hadn't been as successful as he was and, and you were still working and doing a job, what do you think you would be doing? I would still be doing preschool. I would never have changed that. That was my ideal job. I love that if I had to work. <laughs> okay. If, um, and this is kind of true. So, you know, I, I was talking earlier about how I was able to look at what you and dad had built and I wanted to build my uh, family and my lifestyle mm-hmm. around that. But you've done a really good job uh, of. Thank you. Um, and then if Maddie grows up and says, I want to I do that, I want to build that lifestyle how do you encourage that? How do you, um, I should say, how do you respond? Do you say, no, don't, don't do what we did. Or do you say, yeah, you know, here's, here's how you do it. I would say, do it. I would say it's like faith. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's, it is a very hard job. And as a wife, you have to, you have to support and realize they have the hard job. Um, and you have to, a lot of things that you want have to just be forgotten because if it's, if you're struggling, you can't have that stuff. Um, it is very hard and you have to be very supportive, but not in your face supportive. I mean, it's, it's just a real fine line. Um, that's part of the reason why I'm pushing for the phone thing. Cause I think, um, what makes this job great now, I think it could be even that much greater because it would keep you off the road. Um, still engaged with your family, but still making good money. And it's it's the wave of the future. I mean, you have to look down the road. And, I mean, it's hard, you know. In insurance, it's hard to come up with that money each month for, for leads and stuff. And as a wife, you're like, yeah, but... You know, I can't turn the fireplace on because it's going to use propane because we have to have money somewhere for these leads that suck. So, you know, that's a hard place to be. Uh, It's a perfect lead into the next question, though. Uh, What, as you've seen, so dad started this business, uh, struggled and was successful. You've watched me uh, come up and grow up and I've been doing this for six years now. Um, What? correlations, what difficulties do you see um, a beginner get into and um, how does that translate into making that a better person and kind of everyday life or maybe it transfers into other businesses or other skill sets? What do you think insurance (coughs) builds into um, the salesman? Okay. Well, not insurance in general, but this insurance. Right, what we do. Um, I would say it's. I would say it's very hard for the average person to come in this and succeed because they haven't experienced the lifestyle. You grew up in that lifestyle, so for you to look at this business and say. 
This sucks. I hate it. It's hard. Blah, 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 blah. You know what you receive from it. So for you to go through all the shit stuff, you know that you know what the reward is, but the average person doesn't have a clue what the one and done one day, one and done day is like over six years or over four years or one year where you can, you can just say, I'm done. I can be a dad for four solid days. People don't understand that, that haven't lived that. Yeah. And I'll tell a a quick story just to kind of bolster that point. Um, I was in Salina and I probably was, had been doing this maybe a year, maybe two years at the, at the very most. Uh, So I was very much a beginner and, and didn't really know what I was doing. And I had a, a good amount of appointments in the day and it was like three or four in the afternoon and I hadn't made one sale. And I was, I was just beating myself up and I had, I can still remember the street I was driving down and the, the school was on my left hand side and I just pulled off onto some residential street and I just cried because I chose this out of anything. I mean, I have a college degree and I could have gone to do other things and Mm -hmm. I chose this profession to do and I have to put on my big boy pants and go get it done. And I was not getting it done. But like you said, I, I've seen the end result Mm -hmm. and I was able to, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and, and go and, and do it. But somebody who, who's never seen the end result, I don't know how they push past all those roadblocks when they, uh, get thrown in their paths. I think that's a hard thing to get them to understand until you've actually lived it. I think also with you, you're not there yet, but as as you get down the road and you start seeing your children, okay, so fast forward 15 years and Sperry, uh, you can see her falling in love. You can see her picking a pretty decent guy and then you're thinking... Hey, she's three. Let's not push this too fast. <laughs> And you're thinking, but this is where dad and I are with you two. Um, You want her to be able to stay home with her babies. Like if she comes to you and says, dad, I love him, but we can't make any money. And I have to stay working and I have to take my my baby to the babysitter every day. And I cry because I don't want to leave him there. And you're somewhere between now and then your mind's going to flip and you're going to say, oh, gosh, what if Sperry's husband or what if Tracer wants to do this? I now, that's where dad's at. He's like, how can I do this easier for you? And then, you know, uh, Maddie's kind of in limbo right now. We don't know, you know, a lot there. But I know 100% she's going to want to stay home with her kids when she has those babies. And right now they're not even close to that. So what can we do to make this doable? Sounds good. couple of quick draw questions so the answers don't have to be quick uh the questions will be quick i i guess uh you mentioned uh write it down make it happen Mm -hmm. um are there any other books you've read multiple times or a book that you find gifting or giving out to a lot of people um one book i absolutely love and it's called a heart like jesus and it's a 30-day devotional 
And it is, I don't know why, but that is my all-time favorite book. It starts out and it says, if for one day, 24 hours, your heart was not your heart anymore, but your heart was Jesus's heart, how would your next 24 hours change? And then it goes into 30 days of, if this day, my heart was Jesus. It, it takes you through that. And it, I will ne- I just cleaned my cabinet out and that book was in there. And once again, I went, I will never be able to get rid of this book. This, I don't know. What For a quick is, answer, that's it. That's fine. Uh, what is one inexperience, relatively experienced that you believe everyone should try at least once? CrossFit. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I just think that's a huge thing that um, 90% of the people will never try. And the people that try it and get it, it is a godsend. Yeah. Most gyms won't charge you anything for your first time to try it out. Or our gym runs a a free Saturday every time. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's your life changed. (laughs) You know, you know our struggle when we started it, and it was just like, can we sneak in and get it over with? And then to just realize it is a, it is a family. It is um, your every day you walk in there, it's betters your day. I would just that has been an experience I would have never chose, and I'm so glad I did. Um, your answer cannot be dad on this one. Uh, okay. Who is someone older or more experienced that you look up to? Um, probably my brother, Leon, very much. He's had a very tough, tough life and he still has a heart of gold. That's hard. I mean, he's in Vietnam (laughs) and he came home with a lot of issues and, uh, has not had an easy life. And he is the first person that will give you the shirt off his back. Um, so yeah, I love that man. Who is someone equal to you, younger or less experienced that you admire, look up to and why? I would probably say Jill, actually, because her and I kind of have an upbringing similar. Um, And there's a lot of qualities in her that I would like to mimic. Um, I think being this super cool person she is, she holds me to the fire. She doesn't know it and she doesn't try to do it. But, um, there's many times I'm with her and I come home and say, Oh, I need to be more like that. So it would be her. I would think. Um, other than cancer, we already talked about that. What was one of the hardest things in life you've had to overcome? Cause obviously, I mean, you haven't overcome it yet, but it's no. on the list. No big deal. Yeah. Um, what, uh, it's just a bump. What's something else in life that was really hard to overcome? Um, probably the loss of my dad. I mean, I was a daddy's girl. He, my mom was blonde and he, I mean, the first story I remember was them always telling me when I was born, my dad said, finally, my blue eyed blonde. And so, I mean, you can ask my siblings. I, I don't know that I was his favorite, but I have always felt like I was his favorite. And, um, not that that matters, but 
I would have liked to have gone through a whole lifetime with him. So not that that is anything I could have prevented, but that is a regret that I didn't get to grow up with him. What is something you're actively trying to get better at? Oh, Lord. Just one thing. Just one thing. Well, everything at the gym. Um, and I'm really trying, I'm trying to eat better. Um, I'm trying not to put everybody else first and myself last. Which is super hard. Do you have any uh, podcasts, books, um, resources, things that you find yourself reading or, or doing every day or every week um, mm. on like a ritual basis? I do, I do devotionals, just nothing that I really pick one out. Um, I do... I do try to do some Bible work every day. I don't, I'm not successful every day. Um, I've gotten very much more specific in my prayer life um, since I've had cancer because I've had total strangers come up to me and say, I've been praying for you every Wednesday at CYO at St. Mary's. And I'm like, really? And so I've gotten realized that I have many people praying for me that I don't even know about. So I've gotten very specific in my prayers for other people. And um, my drive from home to town is about five minutes. And that's my my prayer time pretty much each and every day, even if I do it four times a day. Um, and then the other thing is, um, ask that question again. Any uh, ritual podcast oh. resources. Well, not podcast or anything, but I Books. I try to call Jim's mom every day, and that is <laughs> hard. As far as other rituals go, do you are there any morning or evening rituals? I know you make a list every day. When does that happen? Um, or at the end of the day when I'm right before bed I, or uh, um, in the evening. I try not to sit down, you know, I like to keep moving and moving, but at the end of the day, I'll sit down at maybe eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And that's why I sit because I get my thing out. I go over my day, see what I accomplished and what I move on to the next day and look at my calendar. And, uh, I do that. Um, I read every night before I go to bed and I pray every night before I go to bed. And I started, um, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I have three prayers I say every morning before I get out of bed. Do you have any other morning rituals? Um, or let, Before we do that, um, what time do you get up? You know, outsiders might say, well, she doesn't have a job. She doesn't have anywhere to be. What time do you, do you mm-hmm. get up in the morning? I know you slept in for the first time the other day. I did. But uh, normally, eight. what time do you get up? Um, 6.30 or 7. I just, I don't set alarm. I just wake up. And then do you have any specific morning rituals? Um, I know. Well, thanks to you, I go make coffee. I would say it's really hard to get you to eat breakfast, but. uh, No, I never eat breakfast. Um, If I do, I usually regret it. I just, I don't know. Food and me don't sit very well. Um, I usually get up. I, (laughs) I put the hot water on and I start taking care of critters. That's my morning. I have dogs and a horse, and um, so I try to do that. One thing I recently read, when you make lists, you do the important thing first. The important things first in the day. 
and I'm trying to figure the most important things and then which is usually calling your wife and saying when do I get to watch the kids do you have any quotes sayings mantras anything like that that are a constant reminder that you keep in front of you I I know at your house there's things stuck on the all over uh, the fridge and in front of the sink and everywhere yeah um I like preach Christ use words if you must I like lead me Lord it's a song we sing in church um I have to remind myself faith is simple. It's not easy. Um, And that comes very foremost when you've been diagnosed with leukemia. Um, And, um, you know, my typical prayers, my thankful prayers. What are one to two things that people can do or change in the next week or month that would have a, a drastic impact on their lives? Hmm. What's the one actionable thing that people can shut this off and go out and do and say? Maybe try to approach a stranger and give them a compliment. That might be um, an interesting thing to try or or not even a stranger, just someone you love. Notice something that somebody maybe never notices about them. By the way, I like your beard trimmed. Mm -hmm. What is one question that you wish people would ask you that nobody ever asks you? That's a hard one. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't really, I don't really care if people even (laughs) notice me, so I don't care if they ask me anything. Very good. Two more questions here. Uh, do you have a dream that you've given up on? I hate to say this, backyard fireplace. <laughs> well, you half have it, the gas one, but uh, I can't. I don't get to turn it on. <laughs> I'm going to use I'll that. Come over I, and turn it on no, I'm going to. I'm going to. I've decided to give that up because I don't even know if I'd really use it. Because yeah. I hate cold. But if I do, yeah, don't we all? When my uh, when we sell my mom's house, um, I'm going to if. I'm going to take my share and do it myself and uh, put a big table out there where we can play pitch in her memory. All right. Last question. Um, we're going to be late it's for a, the gym. It's a two-parter. No, we're fine. Um, okay. First of all, what are you passionate about? Honey, family. Family and children well, and I dogs. Know. <laughs> oh. This is for the people listening. Okay. Fam- I know what you're passionate family. about. Family. Actually... I just heard a quote now that you're, you mentioned that, and it's from Mother Teresa, and it says, if you want to make the world a better place, go home and love your family. That, to me, would solve huge amounts of problems in this world. What would you like your personal legacy to be? That right there. That would be that I passionately loved you guys. And children are God's gift. And throw a couple dogs in there and life's good. Anything else you want to add or leave people with? Oh, gosh. No, I think we did fine. I'm <laughs> glad it's over. <laughs> Thank you much. Thanks. See you. Bye. Stop by com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there.